Pentecost. Well, today we're wrapping up our series on God can't. And we've been learning for the last few weeks that we serve an unlimited God who is limited on some of the things that he can do by nature of his character. And so we've learned that God can do a lot of things, but God can't lie. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God who his word does not change? You can always count on it. He speaks truth. He is truth. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. We, we learned about that, and it was a great, great message. And then we learned that God cannot break his promises. Man, that one really, I mean, just to think about the fact that all of God's promises are yes and amen. You can bank on it. If God said it, you can put your hope in it, not just in the promise, but in the God of the promise. So if you missed any of those, make sure and jump online and check them out. But today we get to our final message in this series, God Can't. Today I would like to talk to, talk to you about this thought of God cannot lose. God cannot lose. Tell your neighbor right now, God can do a lot of things. Come on, tell your neighbor, God can do a lot of things. But God cannot lose. God cannot lose. When I was playing high school football, my senior year of playing football there, we were having a game that had been circled on our calendar. We've been looking forward to this game. It's going to be a game against one of our rival teams. This was a powerhouse program from across town. We're going to be playing this team that, to be honest with you, we had never beaten this team in the history of our school. And just to increase the drama even more, our coach, one of the coaches for our team, was a former coach from this other team. And they had fired him, and he had gotten demoted to come and coach over at our team. So not only was he wanting some sweet revenge, but we were wanting to win just to show coach, hey, it ain't all bad to have to come and be with us. You know what I'm saying? We really... Wanted to win this game. And to our shock and amazement and to the shock and awe of our fans in the stands, when we got to the fourth quarter of that game, would you believe it? We were ahead. We were leading in that game. We couldn't believe it. But there was still a part of you, you know, because you, you, you've been beaten down all these years. You know, you're just thinking, I'm not going to celebrate. You know, <laughs> I'm just a little too nervous on this one. But then got down to the fourth quarter, and then it got down to the last few minutes, and we're still up. Then it got down to just literally seconds on the clock, and they had maybe time for one more play, and they were on the complete wrong side of the field. No way they were going to go the length of the field. So as players, we started high-fiving. We started chest-bumping. You know, the, the dumb stuff, like the headbutt, they're both wearing helmets. We're going to headbutt each other, you know, just excited. People in the stands were, 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 were jumping up and down, popcorn flying everywhere. I mean, we were about to make school history, y'all. This was about to happen. And in just an act of desperation, really, I would call it humiliation, because I thought, you can try, but we got it one. Quarterback drops back. He throws it as high as he can, as far as he can. And guess what? They caught it and ran all the way to the touchdown. And in that moment, we went from a can't lose to a you did lose situation, lickety split. That fast. And in case you're picking up on a little bit of bitterness in my voice, you're like, 
Preacher, you don't sound good today. It's because I've known all week I was going to have to tell that story. I've had to relive it. And yes, I remember the defensive back on our team who got burned that day. I remember. I haven't forgotten, and so I need to go back and listen to our series on forgiveness. But you pray for me. Would you do that? Just pray for me. Life can feel like that at times. You experience enough ups and enough downs. You can almost develop this mindset of there's no such thing as a sure thing. It's hard to enjoy some victories because you just have in the back of your mind this isn't going to last very long. And then when you're going through some difficulties, you kind of accept it as, yep, this is the way it always is. I may as well get used to it. If we're not careful, that can transfer even over into our relationship with God. Our theology says that God is always in control. Our belief system will tell us that God always wins. But we're also told that if we are with God and on God's team, because God never loses, we won't lose. And the problem with that is when you look to your left or you look to your right, if you look close enough in your life, and we usually don't have to look too hard, you can find some L's all around you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so it gets a little bit confusing. Like, man, I know that God can't lose. I know I'm on his team. And if God can't lose and I don't lose, then why am I losing so much? Maybe you feel like you landed the dream relationship. Your guy, you found your dream girl. Or you're a girl, you found your dream guy only to be let down and, and crushed and heartbroken. And think, why did I ever believe that it could happen? Maybe you got excited because you were finally pregnant and expecting a child only to be devastated by the loss of a miscarriage. Maybe you got a bad report on your health or, or, or maybe you lost your job or maybe life is just putting the beat down on you and you just feel tired. You just feel exhausted. You feel like the devil is attacking you over time and you have this sense of, I just can't win. I'm trying to parent my children. I'm trying to show my love for them. But there's all this conflict. There's all of this strife. And my relationship with my son, with my daughter, I just can't win. And so there's this conflict with what you know to be true about God. And yet what you see going on in your life. And I would imagine that's a lot how the disciples must have felt when they were walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus and watching him perform miracles that were crazy as all get out. Watching a man who could not see, blind from birth, and with no effort at all from Jesus, the man is healed and receives his sight. They know Jesus as the water walker. They know Jesus as the miracle worker. They know the little girl was dead, but just with a word from Jesus, she comes back to life. There's nothing too hard for God. They've watched people try and trap him with their words or in, in his words, and he always knew what to say. They, they, they've watched people try and corner him to attack him, but he was always able to find a way of escape. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and he never lost. He was invincible. That's why they were so confused when they started sensing 
a shift. One night, Jesus had a few of them go with him to the garden to pray. They noticed that there was something in his voice that was a little bit different. Scripture says that he was full of sorrow and anguish. Maybe a few of the disciples were speaking uh, to themselves. They said, Man, it, have you noticed he doesn't seem like himself tonight? Man, something's up to something on his mind. And, and I know that we've read Scripture, and so we're like, well, he's been telling these dudes forever what's about to happen, right? Haven't you noticed that in Scripture? Like he's telling them over and over that he's about to lay down his life, but then he's going to rise again. But Scripture keeps reminding us they did not understand what he was saying. They weren't picking up what he was putting down. And so now they go to pray, but they're like, man, something's up. And then perhaps they overheard even Jesus' own prayer when he prayed and he said to God, he said to the Father, he said, everything's possible for you. And so because it is, can't you let this cup pass from me? He said, isn't there any other way? Because all I'm seeing is a loss. This is Jesus talking. And then when Jesus is still in that setting, that scene with his, his disciples, just a few of them there in the garden, it says that this mob, this crowd armed with clubs and swords comes to attack, to arrest and capture Jesus. But now the disciples' mindset is, listen, I don't know who you think that you are. I don't know. if You better ask around and find out who you're about to mess with right now. Because Jesus doesn't play. Like you think that you're about to. And, and literally, these dudes were so full of confidence. Why? Because they saw him do all these miracles. They saw him being untouchable, unstoppable. So, yes, they can do math. I don't know how many it was. Maybe they were counting up all of those who came, the crowd, the gang that came after them, like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Maybe they went like me, you. Kind of you, you ain't really a street fighter. Maybe they were counting it up and looking around. But when they looked at Jesus, they said, we're ready to throw down. Now, you think I'm making this stuff up. I better give you some scripture here right quick. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 49, when Jesus' followers saw this crowd coming to do this, when they saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Because they're going, I know how this ends. Jesus, you just you don't you don't have to just just tug on your ear, just wink. Come on, Jesus, just I will break bad right now. Their confidence was high because Jesus can't lose, right? But you know the rest of the story. Many of you have heard it before. They didn't attack. As a matter of fact, the way this scene ends is that Jesus is captured, and now the disciples are seeing the Creator in handcuffs. They didn't expect to see that. Now they're watching the all-powerful one being dragged out of the garden, being taken away captive. It goes on to say that they spit in his face, they punched him with their fist, that they mocked him, that they humiliated him. And I'm just guessing that the disciples had to think when they joined Team Jesus, this was not a part of the playbook. Their image of him being invincible was being challenged right now as he's being abused. But God never loses, right? It says in Matthew chapter 25, or Matthew chapter 26, 
verse 56. It says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. In fear, they ran. In their confusion, they fled. Why? Because they were going, man, when we were with him, we thought our only chance was winning was to be on his train. But now we see that he's in bad shape right now. And if they're after him, they know that we're with him. They're after us. They knew that their win was tied to him. And now they knew that their safety was tied to him. They needed to get as far away as possible. So they ran. But as they ran... Weren't they thinking God never loses, right? God always wins, right? And I get it. You and I, we have the luxury of knowing this whole story. I see you looking at me with that Easter smirk right now. I see what you're doing. You're looking at me because you're like, come on, bro. I've been to Easter. Yeah, I know. Skip to the rock. Come on, just skip to that part right now. And if you brought a friend, and maybe they're new at a church, you might just turn to them and say, it's about to get good. Go ahead, just let them off the hook. It's all okay. But before it gets good, you got to go down to where it's bad for you to really get the teaching that God's trying to teach us through the story. you got to understand it. These dudes were scared Because one minute they thought, Jesus never loses. And now they're going, man, maybe maybe there's something we don't know here. Maybe my theology was off. Hey, James, what? Maybe we should not have written that small group curriculum, God can't lose seven keys to winning in life so quickly. Because it looks like this is not going to end well. And after being flogged. Jesus was tortured, Roman flogging, so barbaric that in our world of dignity, even in punishment, we can't imagine the pain that he endured. It's not an image of invincibility. It's not a picture of he always wins. And then it says in John 19, verse 16, Finally, and that's a strong word because it's summing up all that Jesus has just gone through. Finally. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be, and here's that word, crucified. The Creator, now on a cross. The unstoppable one, seemingly unable to save himself. The Messiah, the anointed one who came to rescue everybody. And now he appears to be helpless. The disciples must have been thinking now about their own loss. He was their chance at winning. They had given up everything to follow him. They lost friends. They lost their careers. They lost their money, their income. They 
made enemies because of their alignment with him. There were those who were against him, now against them. And they must have been thinking about their losses. And now as they look at Jesus taking his final breaths, they're thinking it was over. Their shock was matched only by the glee of hell. Their fear and disappointment surpassed only perhaps by the celebration going on in the pit. As Satan and all of the demons celebrated. Satan had picked a fight with God and won. He had gone after Jesus, God's only son. He captured him, probably holding his breath as it was all going down, but it worked. Watching with hesitation as Jesus was being flogged, loving what he was seeing, but just checking. And the angels coming in to sweep in, so far so good. And then watching Jesus on the cross, and his blood being spilled, the celebration started. But now to Easter. Come on, you know the rest of the story. It was a premature celebration. (laughs) With all the crazy heavy metal, crazy cursing rock music. I don't know what what they were playing in. They're partying and all. As they were celebrating all that was going on, the ground started to shake just a little bit. Some demon probably asked, what is that? Do you hear that? Put the beer down and listen. But we know what it was. It was a stone being rolled away as Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave to show us, to remind us, God can't lose. Come on, aren't you thankful that God can't lose? Now, don't you remember what happened just before he said, it is finished? And remember, when he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He would have said, I'm just getting started, but that assignment, it's finished. What was that assignment? That assignment was to show that Jesus didn't just talk about winning. He didn't just talk about being victorious, but his whole life is victorious. And what he was saying is, I came to kick open the prison door so that you could experience the victory that can only be found in a relationship with me. You can win. As a matter of fact, he said it this way to the dude on the cross next to him. He had two thieves on either side. One chose to mock him. One chose to continue to, until his final breath, reject Jesus. But there was the other one. The other one who had a repentant heart. Who put his hope in Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to him right before he said, it is finished? Do you remember what he said to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now think about these words, friends. He's talking to a dude who's breathing his last as well. And Jesus is not saying, hey, you're no longer on a cross because the dude was still on a cross. Jesus didn't say to him, hey, that's not painful. The dude was in pain. He didn't say to him, hey, no reason right now to be upset. You got a lot of reason to be upset going on right there. He said, right now you're on the cross. But before you know it, 
you're going to be with me in paradise. You know what that is? That's a teaching to you and to me to even though we may be going through a situation that is a temporary setback or a, or a momentary difficulty or you're carrying something right now that is a loss, God wants you to look past your moment of present pain and put your eyes on where we're headed, where we're going, a place called heaven, and put your hope there because God is with you right here. See, some in the church world would tell you that if you follow Jesus, that you'll never be sick, or if you ever slip up and get sick, that God will just heal you instantly there in the moment. I know that our God is a healer. Can you say amen to that? I know that God can speak a word, and at times He does speak a word and bring about healing. But what I understand from Scripture is not that there will be no more sickness while I'm here on earth, but instead what He teaches me is, is that it has a an expiration day that it's not going to tell the whole story he says you may have pain in the night but joy comes in the morning put your eyes on where you're headed don't be discouraged by just what you're seeing and going through right now and there will be some in this room, if we were talking over coffee, you'd say, Scotty, that's great, but can I just tell you that heaven does not bring a whole lot of consolation with the hell that I'm going through right now. And I would suggest to you that God never intends to minimize your current pain. But oftentimes what we're really lacking is a proper, up, a proper perspective of heaven and where we're headed. Because when you know what you're headed into, it will get you through just about everything that you're going through because you know what's on the other side. I still, I got to take you back to scripture because some of y'all looking at me with one eye, with another eye closed going, where's he getting all this? Let me just tell you why I'm so excited about heaven. Some of y'all have, have been watching way too much cartoons to get your idea of what heaven is about. Way too many Hallmark movies. Y'all have heaven. You think when we get to heaven, we're going to sit on a cloud and play harps forever. <laughs> and so you're like, I can't wait for that. Others of you think that we're just going to just have a robe and just kind of. Just kind of just floating. We're just, there we are. Well, we made it. And you get there and say, bro, how long, how long you been here? Man, I've been doing this for about 4,000 years right here. Just, what do we do next? This is it, bro. This is what we do. What does the Bible have to say about heaven? Number one. This right here will make you shout if you didn't get any other points, but I want you to hear this. Number one, here's what you can expect with heaven. Satan is defeated once and for all. <laughs> Satan is defeated once and for all. It was never a real match. You do understand that, right? It was never like God was going, he got me that last round, but I'm going to come back this day. He's never, it's never like that. But how many also know that the devil is always trying to attack you? 
He's attacking your family. He's attacking your health. He's attacking your finances. He's attacking your peace. He's, he's attacking your thoughts. He's attacking your mind. And it gets heavy. It gets discouraging. It gets difficult. And we got to fight. We got to fight. We got to lean into God. We got to trust in God. But when you get to heaven, it is all over. Satan is defeated once and for all. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. It says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burn sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown they will be tormented listen to this they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever the deal is closed it's all over the devil is defeated he by Felicia he gone it's over you are free from the attack of the enemy for the rest of your life come on praise the Lord if you're thankful for that Not only does that excite me about heaven, but here's a second reason. There will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, and no more death in heaven. No more. Revelation 21.4 says he will wipe every tear. Somebody say every tear. Come on, shout every tear. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone. What does it say? Forever. Man, see, one of the problems with this life is that you can wipe my tears away today, but the devil's going to try and bring me some more tomorrow. See, I could, I could have a broken leg today. And God speaks to my body and heals my leg. But while I'm still here on this earth, I can get excited and start praising God for healing my left broken leg and jump up and down and sprain my ankle. Because I'm still on earth. But there's coming a day. When I don't have to go back for more tests, is the cancer back? Did it come back? Are the migraines back? Did they come back? Is the back pain flare back up? It's going to be done, gone, once and for all. I can't wait for heaven. Anybody else, you're looking forward to being in heaven? No more arthritis. No more aches and pains. No more depression. No more anxiety. Come on, have I hit anything on your list yet? Am I, am I getting closer? No more abuse, no more neglect, no more loneliness. Why? Because we'll be in God's presence. No more sickness, no more pain. It's all gone. We will have not only new bodies, we will have perfect bodies. No more problems. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, your six-pack is coming back. Go ahead and just tell them that right now. Heaven is going to be amazing. Let me tell you thirdly why I can't wait to get to heaven because the beauty and the bliss of heaven will be unimaginable in your craziest most creative of thoughts you will fall eternally miserably short of trying to get your mind around heaven you ever seen a sunset that just took your breath away you ever stood amongst mountains and just begin to shake your head in awe? Have you ever stood on a beach and just looked at the vastness of the ocean and been amazed? If you take every just beautiful scene, sight, imaginable and combine them, you're not even close. 
As a matter of fact, when you're reading in the book of Revelation, you're reading from John the Revelator. God gave him a vision of heaven, gave him insight into what happens at the end. And John the Revelator, as he's trying to describe heaven to us, he's so limited in talking about or pinning or writing what he is seeing to where he keeps using words like, it's like this. Come on, have you ever been there before? You're trying to explain something really cool to him. You're like, that's like, ah. Ah, that's better than that. Ah, you ever been there before? John's going, try explaining heaven. Try describing what I just saw. And it says in Revelation 21, 11, that it shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like, John says, that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, and clear as crystal. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations, listen y'all, we're talking about the foundations of the city. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first layer or level of foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, ruby. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, turquoise. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. He's like, do you get it? This place is crazy cool. He says the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. There are colors, sights, sounds, feels, experiences reserved for heaven that would blow your mind if you even started to get a taste of it. And he says, the streets, the streets are made of gold. I want you to think about that the next time you hit an Oklahoma pothole just as you're driving down the road. Let every pothole in life reminds you that you are headed for a place where the streets are made of gold. John says, I wish I could describe it to you. It's unbelievable. He says in Revelation 21, 3, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. More than just the sights and the scenes of heaven, the thought of us being with our God, the one who loves us so much that He came to die for us so that we could live with him, the one who did not want to experience eternity without you, so he created you. Not because he needed you, but because he wanted you. The one who allowed them to drive the nails into his feet and his hands. How many of you are looking forward to looking into the eyes of our Jesus, our Lord and our Savior? I can't wait to be with him. What a day that will be. When my Jesus, I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day. 
that will be. All the moms and dads and brothers and sisters who've gone before us will greet us on heaven's shore. And we will step into all of eternity, all because we live not for, but from a victory, because God can not lose. Would you just praise Him right now and thank Him that He's the God who's on the throne. He's bigger than anything you'll face. He's already overcome the devil's greatest of blows. You can experience that victory. I want to pray for you today. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know all that you're carrying. I don't know all that you're going through. I know that life gets hard. I know at times it can feel overwhelming. I know that the scoreboard may say that you're so far behind, you'll never make up the distance. But I want you to know, when you put your hand in the hand of the master, you are walking with a winner, and God has victory for you.